It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I'm really excited about today's guest because this is someone that I've gotten to know on a very personal level. In fact, so much so that we just spent the past 45 minutes chatting before uh, recording (laughs) and then thought to ourselves, wow, we really should have hit record a long time ago so that we could have incorporated all of that into this. So Sorry to say that you won't hear our full conversation today, but we had a good warm up. And I just want to start off with something I'm very excited to see, but wanted to save until we were recording the podcast, which is the cover of your brand new book. So this is Liz. We met through the vegan keto world. So I've talked about this a number of times on the podcast. And before I see your book, I'll tell a little of the story, which is I started off my vegan keto journey, which I've been off and on doing since um, I think it was July 2018. And at that time, I felt so insecure about combining vegan and keto together. I didn't know anyone who did it. I don't even remember why I decided to do it. I just was very curious about keto. And frankly, it was mostly a a weight-motivated decision for me, although I really mindful about not emphasizing weight. These days, I am a big advocate for people using intuitive eating and not being hyper-focused on weight loss. But at that time, I did want to lose weight and I did turn to keto as an experiment. But I remember thinking how hard it was going to be completely plant-based and low-carb at the same time because so many people associate the keto diet. And I remember like scouring the internet and like barely finding any information about vegan keto and just thinking like, I don't know if this is possible. But I started over time learning all these new methods. There were a few brands back then, which was like three and a half years ago now. It just wasn't really that spoken about. But eventually, I found Liz's work because of her very first cookbook, The Vegan Keto Diet. And if you're watching the video version of this, you can see all of these tabs. I've never shown Liz this before, but you can see the tabs of all of the bookmarked recipes for those just listening. I mean, there's a ton, like more than I can count. I remember... I found this book actually second. The first book that vegan keto-ish book I found was Will Cole's book, which is Ketotarian. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. It turns out Ketotarian is not the greatest word for it. I guess it makes some sense because I always think Tarian is like vegetarian, but technically it's pescatarian. So it includes some fish and some eggs maybe. And Liz and I have talked a lot about this book over time. But I remember finding it and being like so excited, but like a little disappointed because it wasn't vegan. Then I found Liz's book. That's why it's bookmarked so much. I was over the moon. And then I dove into Liz's work. And then lo and behold, we started talking on Instagram. I think mainly because I was starting to work on my vegan keto book. And I remember Liz asking you specifically about backlash 
because I was afraid of people coming for me and bullying me over doing something about the keto diet. I don't know if I was more afraid of like strict keto people being like, how dare you incorporate vegan into the keto lifestyle? But I imagine I was a little bit more nervous about vegan people coming at me because it seems like so many people on the vegan diet are on the opposite end of keto, which is high carb, right? Like super high starch. And that was how we connected was I might have like messaged you before then, but I specifically remember reaching out and saying, hey, my book's coming out soon. I'm really nervous about backlash. So that might be a good place for us to start because I recall you saying to me, that actually you didn't receive that much backlash from people. But then you and I recently had a conversation where you had a different form of backlash and like kind of the internet, like maybe not bullying or trolling, but like criticism, right? Like it was about very ingredient specific things. It's funny. So as you were saying that, I was like, man, because we were struggling. We were like, how are we going to start this conversation? Because as you said, just had 45 minutes of talking about literally everything. And as you were saying that, I'm like, man, this could be a whole podcast just talking about like dragging each other down on the internet or the backlash that you receive from people you wouldn't expect it, creators you wouldn't think, not the communities that you would think would actually be giving backlash. Because I have received so little backlash, I guess, eight or nine years, nine or, oh God, nine or 10 years I've been doing this. I've received so little backlash from like the general keto community. Usually they do not care. They're like, whatever, live your best life. It's the vegan community that are all like, oh, this is too much fat. This is going to spike your cholesterol. This is like just basically every amount of criticism. Plus, as you said, like ingredient specific. Sometimes I dread posting a recipe because I'm like, what ingredients are going to get me in trouble for this? Are they going to be mad that I'm using soy? Someone always will complain if you use like a monk fruit or stevia or sucralose. Well, I don't use sucralose because that, what am I thinking of? Sugar alcohols. Yeah, exactly. I mean, xylitol and the list goes on and on. Allulose now, right, is the big right. one. Yeah, it's interesting as you share this too, because another thing that comes up is you and I share a lot of things in common. First of all, we've hung out in person multiple times because Liz lives in Massachusetts, really close to where my parents live. So now it's like our annual tradition to get together and hang out and like go shopping or like exploring. And it's just been such an amazing experience, like connecting with you, Liz, on a level that rarely happens when you make online friendships, you know? So that's been just such a blessing. But one of the big things you and I have in common is having like gastrointestinal challenges, (laughs) like digestive challenges. And like you honestly, I feel like are almost like my twin because we have like the almost the exact same. You're, You're technically celiac. Is that right? My doctor years ago just said they weren't even going to bother to do the test because my reaction was so severe when they like tried to reintroduce wheat. They were like, maybe we'll just call it celiac. Wow. Well, that's, I guess, a big difference because I am very sensitive to gluten, but I have not tested for celiac either. But now just you saying that inspires me to look back into it because it's probably been 10 plus years since I got a food test done. 
I just remember I actually didn't test positive for anything, but it took me years later to realize I have food sensitivities, not allergies. And it was an awful journey because I was suffering, having no idea that food was causing all of these issues for me. So Liz and I bond over that. We Let's see, my top list is gluten, soy, corn, and almonds. And you have all four too, plus maybe some other things. What, what else are you sensitive to? Those are the big ones. Those four specifically, right? Yeah, exactly. Like Although I've never met anyone else who has those exact same four. It's crazy. When I did eat dairy, dairy was one, but like that's not an issue. I don't know if it still is. Same with eggs. Could still be. Who knows? Yeah, those four. And like, who has those? No one has almonds. <laughs> no, like, I, know. I know one other person who has almonds and that's it. Almonds are the one where people are like, what? And it's actually the worst thing to be sensitive to because especially if you're doing vegan keto, like almonds are in at least half of the products out there that you can buy. Almond flour is in seemingly everything, which I think is a wonderful thing. If I wasn't sensitive, I'd probably be like overdosing on almonds because it's such a great alternative. Luckily, though, we have things like coconut flour and I think that's why your book probably spoke to me on a whole new level because you have all these ingredients that I can personally eat. But it circles back around to what you brought up to the weight comment that I made. I think keto especially, people get sensitive about restrictions and extremes, which makes sense to me because I had to be very careful when I started the keto journey to ensure that it wasn't motivated by my previous eating disorder, which is technically something that I'll struggle with to some extent my whole life. That restriction, I was nervous about it, but I found keto made me feel really good gut-wise and energy-wise, which is why I continued doing it and try not to emphasize the weight side. It did actually impact my weight, but I wonder if it impacted it from like an inflammation standpoint because it was some like stomach weight loss. I definitely lost some inches on my body. It felt like my body looked more inflamed. And I've noticed that as I've dabbled off and on of keto and incorporating some starches like potato every now and then or rice again, those I don't seem to have too much of an inflammatory reaction to and I have them in moderation. But I definitely notice a difference in how I feel and how I look when I'm eating mostly keto versus not. Since you eat almost entirely keto, but I know occasionally you'll dabble. And I don't know if that's like a secret that I'm revealing about you, but do you disclose that to people? Like, do you talk about how you eat gluten-free pizza that's not keto every once in a while? Like, Yeah, maybe not as much as I should, because actually that's a really good point. Because I feel like I do it on my like personal IG account. I'll be like going out to dinner with friends. And sometimes you just want to have a real pizza. So I'll like post that I'm at dinner and you can see my meal or I'll talk about that. But I feel like that's a really good point. I should make more clear on my Instagram that while I do keto almost all of the time, it's not a thousand percent or a hundred percent really. On Thanksgiving, my mom made gluten-free vegan apple pie for me, which you can't just find that in a store and you definitely can't find a keto version. So I lived my best life. I had some pie. Although don't you have a like an apple pie or pie-ish recipe on your site? Because you also saved me my first vegan keto Thanksgiving. Maybe it was my second vegan keto Thanksgiving. 2019 it was. So yeah, I had already been dabbling it for a while. And 
my Thanksgiving was almost exclusively your recipes. And you have a brilliant one on your website, Meat Free Keto, which we're going to link for anyone who wants to go check out Liz's work, which I really hope you do. It'll be all in the show notes at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the podcast section. Find this episode and we'll link to your books and your website. And in the all recipes section of your website, you actually have a Thanksgiving section. And is the apple pie still in that section or somewhere else? It's still there and it's under desserts or something. Okay, great. I love the way that you organize it all. But it was such a clever recipe because I'd never thought to dehydrated apples, which are like kind of high in carbs if you don't have them in moderation. But the way that you lay out your recipes is you can use a lot of foods that are not like super strict keto, but do them in a way where the net carbs end up working out for you. And it's just such a great, simple recipe. And I remember being so grateful for it. And that's part of the reason I love what you offer. I also think those recipes are great for anyone because you don't have to be keto to enjoy those recipes. So if you want, you could you know, not worry about the carb count and just have as much as you want of your food because it's just good. Thank you. And I think you bring up a really interesting point too, which kind of brings back a point we were talking about earlier, which is making food judgments. And a lot of the negative comments I'll get is if someone sees that recipe, for instance, they'll say, oh, you can't have apples on keto because they're not keto friendly, which I mean, yes and no. So yeah, you probably can't eat an entire apple and stay in ketosis unless you have also hiked a mountain or done a ridiculous amount of exercise to burn off that glycogen. But you can have small amounts of various fruits or starches. Like I had butternut squash. I like to mash butternut squash with cauliflower. So it's not just cauliflower all the time. And so like you said, you just have smaller amounts of it so that the carb count works out. But there's no need to be overly restrictive with keto. And I think that a lot of people tend to be at the beginning, maybe out of simplicity's sake, just to um, you don't want to have to think what are the carb counts for every single food you're ever going to encounter? So sometimes it's easier just to say, all right, I'm only going to eat these things. But if you get bored or if you just really like slightly higher carb foods, there's definitely a way to incorporate them into a ketogenic or very low carb protocol. Yeah, it's important to me too. And actually, as you're saying that, I'm like, if I wrote another cookbook, I would love to do one called like intuitive vegan keto eating. Because that's what I have ended up doing. I, I was strict on keto for maybe like a year or so. And then once I felt good about where my body was at and I felt more like relaxed about it all, I started incorporating higher carb foods. And then I like kind of went entirely off keto for a long time and found myself yearning to do it. So I went back on. Now, as of the end of 2021 and for a good chunk of this year, at least half of this year, I have been doing this intuitive version of it, which is I strive to eat keto because I know I feel good on it. But to your point, if I want to have potatoes or something starchy, or I love that you brought up the gluten-free apple pie. And I'm actually curious, there's that amazing pre-made gluten-free vegan crust. It's called like Holy Wholesome or something. I'm wondering if that's what your mom used. That's like one of my favorite crusts for gluten-free. And you can get it at most stores, Whole Foods, Sprouts, like, you know, wherever. I think even Trader Joe's has it. Is that what your mom used? So my mom is a scratch baker and would be very upset if I insinuated on a podcast that she used a crust. So I would use a crust 
but my mom made it like homemade. So wow, she made her crust. See, that's the thing. I can't say no to that. What am I going to be miserable and pass up this awesome opportunity? But that crust you're talking about is delicious. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's so convenient because certainly making crust from scratch is going to taste so much better. But that crust is an awesome pre-made crust. And I'm curious, what ingredients did she use to make your crust? So I know there was oat flour. I feel like I'm salivating. Oh, I know. I know there was oat flour involved. And um, she did use, I forget what brand it is, but one of the brands of like the all-purpose, but then she blended it with oat flour to make it less. You know how all-purpose gluten-free flours are kind of like gummy, a little bit, a little bit gummy. Um, So she blended it to get rid of that. I don't know what brand though. I'll have to find out because it was really good. It's really good. I was going to say you could post on your website, but people would be like, why is this on here? Uh, But maybe you, I remember also way before I knew much about keto, which maybe we should define a little bit more for people because I've talked about it very lightly and certainly you could go look it up, but a lot of people don't even know what it means to eat keto. So I want to make sure we don't make that assumption. The very first time I really remember hearing about it was through Tim Ferriss. I used to listen to his podcast all the time. And I remember he would talk about it. And back then, again, looking at the stages that keto has gone through over the years, I'm sure is very fascinating to you, Liz, because you started keto in like 2015 or something like that. Like it's been a while. Yeah, it was 2012. It's been a a day. I know. (laughs) Wow. It's been been a long time. Sorry, I just shouted at everyone. (laughs) That, That is insane. I mean... But it's kind of like the early days of veganism. Like you see how far it came. I need to ask you in a moment how you even managed to be vegan and keto for that long because even just the difference between when I started in 2018, now in 2021 and 2022 coming up, it's like rapidly evolved. So when I heard about it, which was probably, I don't know, like 2015 or 16 through Tim Ferriss, It just seemed like something very extreme and something kind of like, I don't know what you would call the Tim Ferriss category, but it's kind of like this bro-y life hacker type of thing, right? Anyways, the reason I bring him up is he would talk about his higher carb days. And I feel like there was a term for it. It wasn't a cheat day. It was carb loading. Is that right? Oh, maybe. I feel like I listened to him talk about it a little bit too back in the day. And did he write about it in the four hour body? He probably maybe. did. It's like, I can't remember what was a podcast and what was an audiobook <laughs> at this point. In time. <laughs> Same. Yeah. But you know what you're describing, you could actually have some carb loading recipes on your site. I wonder how people would react. Like it's kind of like Maybe it's even like a secret part of your website that people discover and they're like, oh my gosh, Liz. Yeah, exactly. Like Liz eats higher carb too, because the very first time I met you, I don't think I told you this, but we went on a walk in Concord, Massachusetts. Was it Concord or Lexington? I think it was I think it was Lexington. I think we went to Minuteman the first time. Right. Okay. So for those that don't know Massachusetts, they're like right next to each other and they're historic. And that's like also been part of our annual tradition is going to these like historic areas. But we took a walk and I like actually remember where we were on our walk, Liz, when you told me that you are not super strict on keto. Because I remember I was not really doing keto at the time. And I felt like slightly nervous to tell you that. (laughs) You know, like I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time we're meeting. And I just thought like you were so strict about it. It actually reminds me of other people I've met over the years who have done things like the 80-10-10 fruitarian diet, raw diet. 
there was another person who I always associated with raw vegan food. And I saw him at a cooked vegan restaurant. It was like run-of-the-mill vegan Thai restaurant. And I was like, what are you doing here? (laughs) And he was like, oh, well, I eat cooked food sometimes. And I was like, what? You do? And it was like this mind shift. So I almost felt that way when we were talking, Liz. And I feel like, to your point earlier, that would be a great thing for you to talk about more often because it's part of challenging these misconceptions about diets like raw food and keto, 80-10-10. Like, not everybody is going to do them 100% all the time. Okay, so we didn't talk about this ahead of time, so she doesn't actually know. But in my next book that's coming out in January, I have a whole section on intuitive eating on keto because that's more or less how I eat too. So when you said that, I was like, oh, that's so funny. I actually tried to find it, but... I just got my book the other day. It just went to the printers. So I don't really know where everything is yet. (laughs) But so exciting. I also have, in addition to like lower carbs, so 30 grams of net carbs per day meal plan, there's a 45 gram kind of like we call it medium carb. And then many of the recipes have, quote, medium carb modifications. So if you're doing a less strict ketogenic diet and you want to like for those who aren't familiar with the like scale of ketogenic eating, most people can get into ketosis, which is a state in your body where your body preferentially burns fat over glucose or carbohydrates. So most people can get into ketosis eating between 20 and 50 grams of net carbs per day. And so net carbs for the most part is you just subtract fiber from whatever carbs you're eating. So the higher end of the spectrum is the 45 to 50 And most people don't do that because most people are on keto for weight loss. But if you are like me or like Whitney and you're just on ketosis to manage inflammation or on a very low carb diet because that's what feels better for your body, then eating 45 grams or even higher, whatever feels best to you, is totally an option and there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And there's like, I wouldn't have judged you anyway, even if you were like, oh, I barely eat keto. It's just like a weekend thing or whatever, because it's whatever feels best for your body. And if just eating ketogenic diet like during the week and then having carbs on the weekends is what feels best to you, because maybe that's what your workout schedule is like or however it happens to be, then go for it. That's kind of the ethos of my next book is that, yes, ketosis is awesome and here's how you get into ketosis, but it's not just this is one way to do keto and that's it. It's a spectrum. Like everything in life, it is another spectrum where you can kind of tailor things to meet your own needs. A hundred percent. And that's so well said. I'm so glad that you're doing that because as we were talking about the beginning, which I think will be the ongoing theme today, is all of these judgments and fears that we have. And I know now that you wouldn't judge me. I'm so grateful for it. But You know, it's like that when you're just getting to know someone, meeting them for the first time, like we often are afraid that someone's going to perceive us in a way that's like doesn't line up with how they are, how they think, how they live or the impressions that they have of us. And I also feel like that's so refreshing from the keto because even now, three and a half years later, I feel a little uncomfortable telling people talking about keto and telling people that I do keto, I'm afraid of being misunderstood. And I'm also afraid of people like thinking that I'm doing something bad for my body, which comes back around to what you were saying about the criticisms and the comments on platforms like Instagram, where it feels like everyone's fighting about what ingredient is best. Like, how dare you use soy? Soy is so bad for you. And some people are like, eat as much soy as you want. It's perfectly fine. 
how dare you use certain sweeteners? Like you should only be using natural sweeteners, which is another thing I'm curious about for you. This came up a few months ago. I did a podcast on another show with a doctor who specializes in teaching people about sugar. And he's not a fan of processed sugars like stevia and monk fruit and all the other options out there. He's much more into dates. I think dates are like his primary sweetener choice. And I remember thinking, gosh, like everything he's saying makes sense. It's just that I know that eating a lot of high sugar foods like dates is not going to make me feel great. So I'm wondering, have you come across something that's keto, but maybe like a little less processed? aside from like eating straight up stevia leaves? (laughs) Like, have you done much research on this? Is there an answer yet? If not, like, can the two of us join forces and figure out how can you do keto without eating too many processed sweeteners? It's so funny because when you were like, have you found anything? I was literally going to say, I grew a stevia plant to add the like leaves to my tea because that way it was, you know, like it's just adding the leaves instead of the processed stevia that has sometimes additives or it's in glycerin or sometimes it's in alcohol or has preservatives. Maybe I was like, oh, this will be such a great way. I'll just like throw leaves in my tea. And I did that for like a month maybe. And then I killed the plant because (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing back then with plants, none at all. And (laughs) I just like never got back to that. But I love this idea and I'm with you. I think we should look for a way to make things sweeter that doesn't use all of these sugar alcohols. Because while I think there's nothing wrong with them in moderation, they do upset my stomach. And I know they upset a lot of people's stomachs. And I feel like that's my body telling me not to be eating those. So I'm down to find something. Let's let's find ourselves a scientist. Yes, 100%, right? And I have to say, though, I once got some like really unprocessed stevia. I don't think it was from the plant directly. It was maybe like dried stevia leaves and they were gross. So, (laughs) you know, I'm one of those people who doesn't mind the taste of stevia. I think it's kind of like cilantro where people are like either super pro stevia or super like no way I'm eating any of anything with stevia in it. I'm like totally cool with it for the most part. But I remember that specific stevia. I was like, this is awful. Give me the processed stuff. (laughs) My favorite brand of stevia is Omica. Do you have a favorite brand flavor wise? I don't think I do. So I also don't mind the taste of stevia to the point where like even the the straight powdered extract from Trader Joe's, I'll like sprinkle into stuff and not even think about it. But I think it's New Leaf makes a vanilla one. And I do like that around the holidays because it makes me feel festive. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing too. It's like, I'm so grateful that in the past year or two, so many brands have come out with vegan keto products, either like accidentally or very purposeful I noticed at the food show I went to a few months ago, there were so many brands using the phrase vegan keto. And I was like, this is so awesome. Like now I don't have to think about it. Although I still have to check the label for almonds, sometimes corn, which is really annoying. You know, what's also interesting is speaking of food labels, there was a product at that show that said like contains almonds, but it was like either on the ingredient list or not on it. And when I asked the company about it, I was like, it says it contains almonds. And they're like, oh, that's because it's made on the same equipment. So we have to say it. 
but there's technically no almonds in it. And I was like, oh, so it made me really curious, like how many companies I've been avoiding because of that, since I don't have a full on allergy, like maybe there's some foods that I could eat, but they have to put that on there for allergy reasons and regulations and all of that. But my point being that there's so many products coming out and so many more options and more brands using different nuts, coconut flour or cashews we've seen or walnuts and like getting really creative with different things that they can use to make these foods. And the convenience of it can be so wonderful, whether you don't have time to cook, you're traveling, you're tired, you're someone like you who's cooking all day for work and you just want to take a break and not have to make another meal, I imagine. No, totally. But there really are so many brands. So the second time, well, I guess it was technically our third time hanging out. We went to Target together, just like Whitney needed groceries. And so she called me and was like, hey, do you want to come to Target with me and get groceries? And we ended up both taking footage, which probably looked insane to anyone else in Target. But we both were filming all of the new vegan keto products that we saw Just in passing, we weren't really looking for them. We were just shopping, but there were so many of them. It was unbelievable. Like in all product categories or protein bars and dessert items and random snack foods. It was crazy. It was very exciting though. It is. And do you have a favorite packaged vegan keto product that you keep going back to over and over again or one that you're that's new and exciting for you? Okay, so this one you actually introduced me to, and it's the refrigerated Boo Bars, Boo spelled B-H-U, and those I got at Target with Whitney. But if you've tried the regular Boo Bars, which are good, they're fine. They are a vegan keto product that does not have almonds or gluten or corn in them, so I go to them pretty often. But if you can find the refrigerated, my goodness, that's a whole different ball game. They're amazing. So that's mine. How about you? What's your favorite? Well, that's, I mean, the Boo Bars have been my favorite product ever since I tried the keto diet. It is. And they're also, I think, either all organic or mostly organic. They use really great ingredients. They're based in California. And I don't know if it's all women owned, but I think there is a female co-owner at least or a partner. There's a lot of really great elements to that brand. So I'm a huge supporter. And speaking of which, I almost ran to my refrigerator while you were talking just now, Liz, because they have, I don't know if it's like a seasonal thing. They have these new refrigerated containers of cookie dough. That concept of theirs has been around for years, but they have new flavors. And their one that I tried the other day is a strawberry cheesecake flavor. Yeah, I know. It was very, very exciting. And they have a few things on their website that I don't think I've tried. So we'll link to this in the show notes too, along with anything else we mentioned today. So for the listener, if you go to wellevator.com and check out the show notes for this, you can actually buy directly on the website. So if you don't have them in stores, they'll ship them to you and you can get good deals and things like that. So I'm glad that we're on the same page with those. And You know, things like that have also helped me do keto more regularly, especially during the times where I was struggling to eat it on a daily basis. I would still buy the vegan keto products as snacks because it was like something I'm very grateful for. This was also true when I was transitioning to the vegan diet. Like I ate a ton of processed foods, packaged foods, because it was just easier. I didn't have to think about a recipe. And, you know, sometimes when you're trying something for new, especially something like keto, you have to buy all these new ingredients. Like if you've never cooked with uh, or baked with coconut flour before, 
it's kind of expensive. And then what if you don't like it and you've spent all this money on something or you're struggling to make it and it's time consuming and it just feels very daunting. And I think that will throw some people off. It's kind of like also when you're new to vegan, you're like trying to figure out which plant-based meat you like or cheese or milk. Like it can be pricey. But if you can try a little bit of it at a cafe or if you can try a little of it in a prepackaged food, you not only get the convenience of it, but you also get to lean into it more. And that's one of the big reasons that I'm such a fan of all of those options for us. Plus traveling, it makes a huge difference. Totally. I pretty much feel exactly the same way. And I wanted to just like go back to what you said, where you said, even when I don't eat keto, I still eat keto products. And that's more or less like exactly how I do it too. So I'll have maybe like if I'm going on like a family vacation, like my mom always wants like all of us to get together every year. And I can't always be keto the whole time for that. And sometimes it's like she made a pie. And so I know that I'm not going to be in ketosis for at least that part of the day. I still will be like my breakfast will be keto and my lunch will be keto and my snacks will be keto. And I'll just accept that like, well, having a pie. So like not being in ketosis, but still sort of, I don't know, just 80% of my day was a keto day. I just happened to have that pie as well. And I think that works better for me because instead of spiking my blood sugar consistently all day long and feeling gross and terrible and sick all day long, it's just that one meal. And if I've had a day where I feel good all day, sometimes the extra sugar doesn't even spike my blood sugar that much. It's a pie. It's not going to not spike your blood sugar. But sometimes it just, I feel better at the end of the day physically having only had that one, but also making sure that I've eaten like high quality food throughout the day. So also a big fan of those bars, just pretty much that reason. (laughs) I mean, those bars for sure. I could eat those all day, every day and feel like I'm good to go. (laughs) Like when I first tried them, there was one day where I ate like two or three in like half a day's period of time because I was like, these are so nourishing, taste so good. And it's just sometimes nice to have those things. Oh, the other thing, I think I was going to talk to you about this offline but I know that we share a common interest in vegan keto cereal. <laughs> this is like a big movement recently. The first vegan keto cereal I think I tried was Catalina Crunch, which was like, I felt, you know, that moment where <laughs> like the light from the heaven shines down and you hear the angels singing like, oh, like that's how I felt when I saw Catalina Crunch. I'm like, Are you kidding me? Because they have like any flavor of cereal you can imagine they have. Like they have a cinnamon toast crunch and a honey graham and on and on. But they're all vegan, all keto, gluten-free. So it was very exciting until I realized they really upset my stomach. So even though the ingredients... look good from the outside. I don't know if it's like the flour they use or something or like something about that combo of ingredients like ruins my stomach. So you and I both share this in common and like have to eat it in major moderation. And I love that you're laughing. (laughs) Because right, like tell me about your experience with Catalina Crunch because it's obviously very similar to mine. It's basically identical. Like, I think I heard about it probably through like an Instagram ad, like where else do you learn about things? And so I was like, yes, I'm going to try this. I forget what flavors I got. I got a bunch of different flavors. Definitely like the chocolate, cinnamon toast crunch, the honey grams. Maybe the fruity was the other one that I get really into. That's like Fruit Loops for those of you who haven't binge eaten an entire bag of Catalina Crunch before. (laughs) 
So I got so excited. I like tried the serving size, which is, by the way, very small. So you're going to want to eat two of the serving sizes. So you just do because you're stupid and you think this will be fine. I'll just have a double serving. (laughs) And so pretty much immediately after eating, my stomach like started to gurgle a little bit. And then like a little while later, it was just is not great. It's it was not a great uh, the aftermath, we'll say, was not (laughs) ideal. Totally. And it's such a disappointment because I think that's part of the phase that we're in with vegan keto is like, it's still a big compromise. And I remember this when I first went vegan, like there was vegan cheese, but it tasted horrible. It didn't melt. It was like, I'm going to eat this, but it's not pleasant. I remember like vegan hot dogs were awful. Like it was even tofurkey, which I think either my palate's changed or tofurkey has improved over time because my first Thanksgiving eating vegan, I got a tofurkey and I was like, I'm going to do this. And it was awful. Like I could barely eat it. I was like, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. I can't believe this is how I have to have Thanksgiving from now on. Now we have so many vegan turkey products. Many of them are allergy friendly. My favorite one is the turkey burgers, the turkey list burgers at Trader Joe's, which if you haven't tried these yet, they're a game changer. Everybody I've introduced them to has been like blown away, but they've also never heard of them. Like for some reason, not enough people talk about them. So try the turkey list burgers. They're soy free, gluten free. They're made with pea protein. Like they're still processed, but not heavily. Anyways, I am looking forward to the day when vegan keto is not going to ruin my stomach, but I feel like we're getting closer. So here's an example. There is, I think it's called Seven Sundays. Have you tried their products, their cereals? I have not, but I've seen them. I just didn't realize that they were vegan or keto. They're definitely vegan. They're grain-free. I don't remember if they have any like keto labeling on them. They're probably borderline not keto. But for me, as part of my like current state of things and more on the intuitive eating side, I tend to eat grain-free foods because they either tend to be keto or paleo at least or just simplified ingredients and gluten-free at the same time. And that brand is the first one I've tried that has not upset my stomach. They use like, I think it's like sunflower seed flour. I think that's what they use. It was something very surprising, very simple ingredient list versus another brand of vegan keto or grain-free cereal that I tried was made with chickpea flour and it tasted incredible. It was so good. They had a pumpkin spice. What, you know which one I'm talking about? No, but it sounds so good. I'm getting very excited. Oh my, I'm like, I thought I saved the box because I tend to feature things like that on This Hits the Spot podcast. But it, I'll have to try to remember the brand. Anyways, it was a pumpkin spice like seasonal cereal and it was definitely grain-free, maybe marked keto, but it really upset my stomach. And I think it was the chickpea flowers because that's actually fifth on my list is legumes. I cannot digest legumes very well. So this is why like vegan keto has been such a good fit for me because vegan keto products are tend to be gluten-free. Many of them are soy-free. Many of them are corn-free and also uh, legume-free because of the carb count. It's just the almonds that are tricky. It's funny you say that because I think chickpeas would probably be my number five as well, like after almonds, which is annoying because I actually really like chickpeas. Like I love hummus. Chickpea pasta is probably the best replacement for pasta that's gluten-free. So I like used to eat a lot of it because again, it's that trade-off where you're like, well, I can't have these other things because it's like a really, very, we'll, we'll say violent reaction 
But like the chickpea is just more discomfort than like a serious intolerance or allergy. But man, chickpeas just like they're in everything. If it's not almonds, it's chickpeas, right? Totally. And this is also goes back to the ingredient shame. I feel like that's going to be the title of this episode, ingredient shame, because I felt shame for my food sensitivities. And also I think was a little tied into my fear around going back to disordered eating, which was like, am I restricting myself too much? Like, is this disordered eating behavior or is it all in my head? And that was part of the journey that I went on was knowing I didn't feel good eating certain foods, but feeling like they were healthy for me. So I should eat them anyways, right? Like chickpeas, legumes in general. I felt so much shame for not eating them because everyone would talk about all the health benefits. But I was like, no, they really upset my stomach. And I would also try to eat them like in tiny moderation to see if I could change it. But no matter what I did, they would really upset my stomach. And same thing with almonds. Like I thought maybe I could train myself back into eating almonds and maybe it's possible. I think it's possible for some people to overcome some food sensitivities through eating foods in moderation and and generally having a medical practitioner guide you through this is the best way. But so far for me, it hasn't worked. And it's like, have you ever felt like you're questioning your choices like because everybody else is eating something and you're like, I wish I could eat that way or maybe I should eat that way? Totally. So I have a similar um, disordered eating slash eating disorder background. As you imagine, they like it ebbs and flows and one becomes the other and then it goes back and forth for like a decade. But keto was actually the one thing that got me out of that headspace, as weird as it sounds, because it is such a restrictive way of eating. But at the same time, it got me to stop obsessing about food. I could stop eating when I was full. I didn't have like insane cravings all the time. So I wasn't constantly obsessing about food. But then, as you know, with this ingredient shame, like someone would make a comment like, oh, you really shouldn't be using peanut butter because like the aflatoxin or the fact that it's slightly more inflammatory than almond butter, like you should only be using almond butter. And I'd be thinking to myself, like, well, I would rather deal with aflatoxin than anaphylaxis. But like, Okay. I don't know. It's so weird because you just get all these like little digs at you. And so then I would start being like, okay, well, don't use peanut butter and I can't use almond butter. And so you're like, I guess I just won't make recipes with this or I just won't post these foods or I just won't do this thing. And you're like getting yourself back into this like really like restrictive, like I'm only going to post these things. I'm only going to eat these things because like this rando on the internet told me to. (laughs) And it's such a weird thing that I guess it's not because a random person told you to. It's more because you're afraid of that backlash. You're afraid of posting something you made with peanuts or with dehydrated apple or with butternut squash and having 50 people on the internet tell you you're wrong and you're stupid and it's like keto diet is dumb and that butternut squash isn't keto and that peanut butter is going to kill you. And you're like, oh my God, just like let me live my life. A hundred percent. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. And I think it does trigger disordered eating in a lot of ways because I've gotten to the point where I'm like, it seems like everything I eat is wrong in somebody's eyes. And the only diet I felt like didn't have a lot of shame around it was the 80-10-10 diet because all I was eating was fruit. (laughs) But actually, now that I say it, when people who don't know about 80-10-10 or the fruitarian diet, they're like, that's crazy and that's an eating disorder. Like, that's so restrictive. And that's true. But it didn't come with a lot of shame because I was eating all of these high nutrient foods and they, you know, single ingredients. So they weren't processed. And like, who can say that fruits are bad unless you're super strict on keto? So like, 
I felt like I was finally overcoming all of the, those challenges of the shame and the backlash. But there was a whole movement. I don't know if you remember this, Liz, because you've been doing keto for so long, but on YouTube and just social in general, like the fruitarian diet was like a huge deal. It was probably from like 2012 or 13. No, no, wait. Yeah, maybe around that time to maybe 2015, 2016, have some friends that still eat that way. But it was like a big thing in the vegan world online. And now recently, especially in 2021, I've heard a lot of people coming out and acknowledging the fact that the promoting of those diets actually caused some people to have eating disorders. And they're like, because everybody was talking about like this being the ideal way to eat, I ended up restricting myself too much and being afraid to eat anything outside of that way of eating. And that caused me to have a lot of disordered eating habits. And that was really eye-opening for me. And this is why I try to talk about keto very carefully when it comes to weight, because as we've talked about throughout this episode, there are many benefits to keto beyond the weight loss factor. But I think it's been promoted as such a weight loss focused diet that people like put it into this box and think like, oh, if you eat keto, you have an eating disorder. Or if you eat keto, like you're too strict and it's bad for you, you must be eating all these processed foods. But certainly there's a way to do keto in a very balanced way and an intuitive way like you talk about in your upcoming book and also eat a ton of unprocessed foods like especially your recipes Liz I feel like few of them if any contain processed ingredients unless you would count like the sweeteners right like have you intentionally crafted your recipes to be less processed or is that just like how they turn out because they're vegan keto so yeah, so I'm going to go back to the whole high carb thing later because that was definitely also a big part of my life for a while. But you got to pause so that we can direct people to watch YouTube just to see your cat. Oh, Kilo. my this is my baby. I'm obsessed. Like for the listener, please watch the YouTube version. Her cat is insane. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had to make sure we acknowledged him. No, he's just angry at me that his nap time. <laughs> yeah. Well, firstly, I love my cat. I will always acknowledge him. He appears in my upcoming cookbook as well. <laughs> um, he does? Like there's photos of him? Oh my gosh, you have to show me that. <laughs> I totally... Um, but to the point that you brought up with, I use clean ingredients in my, I hate using like judgmental phrases, whether it's a good or a bad judgment, like clean ingredients or like dirty keto or lazy keto, because I think that starts to pass judgment on you really. And even if it's just like lighthearted, it adds up. And when you think to yourself like, oh, this isn't a clean ingredient, like you eventually get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm being crazy right now. I'm not eating this thing I want to eat for one meal because I'm afraid that it's not, quote, clean enough. But I do use simple ingredients mostly because it makes it easier for more people to find them, but also because I feel like it's easier to work around food intolerances, which you know well. It's very hard to find a good recipe on the internet that doesn't have something you're allergic to in it or intolerant of. But I like to present a simple enough recipe that someone can say, oh, okay, well, I can't eat this, but I do know that this very basic ingredient, like almond butter, for instance, can easily be substituted for sunflower seed butter. So I just like to keep things as simple as possible. I love that. Plus, I'm lazy, honestly. But I mean, yeah, lazy in itself. It's like we can all relate to that, but it's not even lazy. It's like sometimes we just don't have the time or energy to make certain foods. And that was another thing I loved about your book. In fact, I'm looking at my tabbed pages. There was one in here that I remember that was so good and shockingly simple. Okay, I think my favorite recipe in your first cookbook is your bagels. 
And they're just like called tahini bagels. Is that right? I'm trying to find the recipe on here. They are so easy to make and so satisfying. Like I felt like I could cry when I tried those. Yes, here it is. I'm holding it up for our YouTube version. The tahini bagels on page 80 of the Vegan Keto cookbook. When you search for vegan keto, both of our cookbooks come up side by side, which I love. I, love I feel it. like we're <laughs> we're in this <laughs> we're together. Like in a cool kids club. <laughs> yeah. But yours is just called vegan keto. And it's flax seeds, psyllium husks, baking powder, salt, warm water, and tahini. That's it. It's so easy to make and so satisfying. Like I'm starting to drool. I don't think I have psyllium husk right now, but I think I'm going to have to go out and buy some so I can make this recipe again. You also had one, I don't know, is it in the book or on your website? It was um, non. Is that in the book or is that? Oh, it's on the website. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it's currently up. I'm reworking some of my older recipes where the pictures are garbage. (laughs) That might be one of them. I'll have to check. Okay. (laughs) Well, let me know because I'll make sure to link to that. What's it called specifically? So I'll make a note for anyone who wants to search for it. I think it was just called like vegan keto non. I try to make my, I don't, I don't get very Baroque with recipe names. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to look this up because it is another thing that's making me salivate right now. It was also very simple. What were the ingredients in that? It's just like coconut flour, probably psyllium husk. I think either been tahini or sunflower seed butter. I'm not sure which one I eventually settled on, but it was like super basic. And then like coconut yogurt. Oh, right. Yeah, that was another thing I tried. And I was like, not only is this easy, but it's so delicious that this is why I became obsessed with you, Liz. Okay. I wanted to go back to the high carb stuff, though, because you said that you wanted to acknowledge that. I'm very curious how you feel about that way of eating. So before I went keto, I was like very into 80-10-10, completely raw, because I thought it would fix all of my problems. Like it fixed everybody's problems on YouTube. And I don't want to like call out creators, but there's some major creators that were in the game then, and I think still are now. I still get emails from some of them. I'm like, oh, right, you exist. Like you, I was motivated by weight loss a long time ago. And I saw on a YouTube video, people eating, I'm just gonna say the phrase 30 bananas a day, throw that out there. Yeah, you you know. But these people would be like, oh, all of my like blood sugar issues, which I had at the time, like all my blood sugar issues were resolved. Like I lost all this like weight. I have more energy than I've ever had. Like basically any problem you can think of, somehow it was cured for these people by eating only fruit and like lettuce leaves and then like a quarter cup of like raw soaked walnuts every 48 hours or something ridiculous. And it seemed like it would be a great diet because they were eating whatever they wanted. I thought, oh, this is really great. I don't really have to think about tracking things. I don't have to think about counting calories, which I was very into when I was younger. I'll just like eat whatever I want. And I ended up getting like so sick on eating like a totally high carb diet. Like my thyroid tanked. I was freezing all the time. And it was July. So it wasn't like it was winter and I was freezing. It was July and I was freezing. I gained like 10 pounds eating. I know like eating a a high carb, low fat diet. You're like, I was just thinking to myself, like, I must be doing this wrong. So I started like feeling bad about myself. I was like tired all the time. My skin got really garbagey. (laughs) Just basically everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But like I internalized it and I was like, no, it's just me. Like, I must be doing this wrong. And at the time I had just started my nutrition program. So I like wasn't I didn't know enough yet to really know that, no, this isn't you. This just is not the way your body processes carbohydrates. Like it's not the same as these people. These people process carbohydrates much better. 
So I just like really took a toll on me both physically and mentally, really advocate for modifying things to make you feel better and to not listen to some idiot on the internet. Even if that idiot is me, I'm an idiot too. Like if you don't like a recipe or a meal plan that I put together, you don't have to follow it. Just do what feels good for you. I love that. I love that about you. And I was actually feeling the same way because it's very humbling. There's so many people out there that want to say like, this is a way to do something. And I've certainly said similar things over time. Like I would get in my ego and be like, I found the best way to eat. But there was something about doing the vegan keto diet where I shifted. And part of that is maturity. Part of that is learning from our experiences. But I also think my journey with disordered eating and recognizing that I didn't want to fall back in the trap, but I really wanted to try it. Like intuitively, I felt very drawn to keto and it ties into the whole intuitive eating side of things. So I felt shame, like I said earlier, and even telling people what I was doing versus like in the past where I would feel proud and like try to be like, look at what I'm doing. I'm eating the right way. I felt like I would shrink down and got nervous about it. But the truth is that it's working for me and it feels good. And that's what's most important. But all of these messages that we've heard through social media, through YouTube, through our friends, through doctors, like there's so much confusion and pressure and like this idea that we can find our way to the best way to eat, the ultimate way to eat and we'll finally feel like fixed and pure and perfect. But it's not always like that. Even when you're doing a diet intuitively, you're still going to go through periods where it might not work. And it Sometimes it stops working too. Like your body is such a complicated thing. It needs shifts. Your body is changing. Your hormones are changing. Like so much is going on in different stages of our life and we're going to need different types of nourishment. And information and science is changing. Research will show us new things. Time will tell too. Like the fact that that 80-10-10 craze was so intense for years and now isn't really. Certainly there are people still doing it and different variations of it, like you mentioned, but it's nowhere near like it used to. And if we had known that at the time, like that would have felt really shocking because for those few years, it was like the be all end all. And my heart goes out to anyone who's still struggling with that mentality of thinking like they're feeling ashamed I mean, I had a similar experience mostly in that didn't fit my intuitive way of eating. I did 80-10-10 for a few months in 2012, I think. And I felt great at the time. Like, and it was kind of fun, like you said, to just like eat as much fruit as I wanted. And I liked going to the store and buying, you know, a ton of whatever fruit I was into that day. Like there were certain things that like watermelon I was really into. And I would just eat as much watermelon as I wanted. And I enjoyed trying some of the simple recipes that were like three ingredients and I could see the appeal to it. But then I remember feeling less interested in it. After a few months, I was like, I don't feel drawn to it. But I felt all this shame for stopping something that so many people were advocating for. And like you, I thought it must be something wrong with me. Like, or I must, I need to force myself to eat all this fruit because this is the way to eat or at least I need to stay raw. But that was not what felt good for my soul even. like, And that comes back to that intuitive way of eating. And just like you're saying, Liz, for you and me, we found the opposite end of the spectrum and that felt good to us. But there's nothing wrong with someone who's, who wants to eat fruitarian because maybe for whatever reason, their body and their mind really thrive on that way of eating. So there's no shame in either way, I think is the big point here. 
That leads me to something I really want to touch upon, which is your new book and some of the things that you had shared with me about that journey of writing a book, which contains some things that you're not sure about yet. So I'm kind of curious where you are at and if you could give some context to what this new book is and how it's kind of different for you compared to what you've been doing in the past and definitely compared to your first book. Yeah, totally. So firstly, I just want to agree basically with everything, like find the diet and the way of eating that works for you. And if it's keto, that's great. If it's high carb vegan, that's great. If it's paleo, live your best life, like do what works for you. But then I do want to talk about, and thank you for talking about this, my upcoming book. It's called Plant Forward Keto. And you'll notice that it's called Plant Forward Keto and not Vegan Keto, although I didn't name it, so I can't really take credit for that. So it is a little different for me. It's actually different in a lot of ways. I did not work on the recipes by myself this time. I did, I think, 80 of them or something. And then my publisher, who like I love everyone at my publisher. They're great. They're fantastic. But when they were putting together this book, they had the idea that like, oh, it would be really cool to reach out to everyone, meaning not just vegans, not just vegetarians, but people, I guess, low carbon keto dieters of like all food persuasions. And so they found this really talented woman. Her name is Lonnie. She has a blog called Teeny Tiny Kitchen. And so she actually did eight recipes that are plant or not plant, animal proteins. And so that like I've been vegan for like almost my God, what year is it? Almost like 10, sorry, Kilo is cleaning himself in my lap. Um, I've been vegan for about 10 years now. I had to think about it for a long time because I felt really strange having something that I don't eat at all. Like I didn't make these recipes, like they're not my recipes, they're not my name on them. So I had to like kind of come to terms with the fact that these ingredients were gonna be in a cookbook that like had my name on it. And I think that, I don't know. I'm saying like come to terms with as if I wasn't, I didn't have any agency in this, which isn't true. Like I obviously had agency in this decision, but when it comes down to it, like my goal has always been to get people to eat more vegetables and to get people to like eat less meat. That's my like secret double mission is like eat less meat and eat less animal products. And so my hope is that people who would otherwise not buy a book that said vegan because they're like, oh, I don't want to eat vegan food, which is like a weird standpoint that a lot of people have. They forget that like that just means food that doesn't have an animal product. There's not like a weird subcategory of foods that are like vegan foods that automatically taste like hemp and kale. But um, yeah, I like my goal for this is basically to have people who would normally not buy a book that says vegan keto start making these like plant-based recipes And if they still need to eat a little bit of eggs or they eat fish or they eat chicken or whatever it is, whatever their like last holdout item is, they can incorporate that if they want, but like start to move towards a predominantly like plant-based diet. That's my secret goal. In my head, I call it snacktivism, where it's like secret vegan activism by feeding people snacks. And so that's my goal. But yeah, it was weird at first thinking like, oh, this book isn't just like mine. It's not just a vegan book. Although that said, literally like 80 of the recipes are totally vegan and then eight of them are not. So it's still like a mostly vegan book, but I don't know. Well, it's kind of like in in alignment with Will Cole's book, like we talked about where for me personally, I bought that book and I was thrilled because it was one of the few. I mean, I don't think your book had officially come out yet or if it had, I didn't know about it. 
it was like right around the same time frame, but his came first. And I was completely fine buying a book that wasn't entirely vegan because it was plant forward like yours. It had the fish and the eggs and whatever. And I just ignored them. I'm like, this is fine. Or I could take those same recipes and modify them and make them vegan, just like somebody could take one of your recipes and modify them and make them not vegan. And this is another element of this whole topic of ours about ingredient shame and just like the shame and judgment that can come from vegans, like you've also said, where it can be so critical. It's this purist mentality of if it's not fully vegan, then you're a bad person, you know? And the truth is very few things in life are 100% vegan if we look at the whole supply chain or the whole process chain or, you know, our tires on our car are always that great example of like, even if everything in the interior of your car is vegan, which is also very rare, your tires are probably not vegan, right? So we can put ourselves on this pedestal of saying like, I'm vegan and 100% and I don't have anything that's got animal products or involved with animals. It's probably just not true or possible. But even this mentality of shaming other people if they decide to go to a non-vegan restaurant and order a vegan dish, which some people I've experienced in my life. And I'm like, that's fine if you want to go to 100% vegan restaurants only. But for me, I'm comfortable with some cross-contamination. Like one of my favorite things to eat on the road is from Carl's Jr. because they have the Beyond Burger. And I don't know if there's not one in Massachusetts, Liz, but they have Hardee's and Carl's Jr., same company. Have you been to either of them? Or is it? It's nowhere near you. Okay. She's shaking her head. (laughs) Well, they're all over California. And because I've traveled cross country, there's Hardee's or Carl's Jr. in many parts of the country. And it's awesome because it's a drive-through that serves the Beyond Burger and they make it keto because you can get it lettuce wrap. And yeah, she's, (laughs) I love your face. It's like the easiest vegan keto meal on the road for me, aside from a salad. And I love the Beyond Burger. I'm getting it from Carl's Jr. And it's possible that there's some cross-contamination. Like, I think that they try to cook it on a separate grill and use different utensils. But like, who knows what they're doing back there? I'm personally comfortable with taking that risk because I get to eat food that feels good to me and nourishes me. And I'm also supporting the business and encouraging them to make more of this food. Another example is KFC has been working on their plant-based chicken with Beyond Meat for a long time. And Liz, I like never publicly told people that I went and tried it because I was like, felt so uncomfortable admitting that I bought from KFC. But in my head, I'm thinking, this is amazing. Like, just because I'm vegan doesn't mean that I don't want to have the KFC experience. Like, it can be really good. Same thing with Panda Express. They have chicken, which I also think is beyond meat. And I went and tried it, but like felt like I was like doing something wrong, you know, but I was like, this is so cool. Like just to your point, Liz, the people that would buy your book that are not vegan, but now just subtly try something. I think a lot of people are interested in trying plant-based foods, but they're not going to go out of their way for them. If they can go to somewhere like a fast food chain that they already like and just like maybe add on the vegan chicken in addition to a non-vegan dish, that is actually helping the planet in a really significant way ultimately. And it's inching them closer and realizing that not all plant-based foods taste like hemp. (laughs) No, totally. And thank you for all of those amazing examples because you're right. I do that thing where we have this like all or nothing mentality where I'm like, oh, if I'm not doing this like a thousand percent perfectly, then it's like not good enough. But at the same time, 
So I follow this girl on Instagram. I don't remember her username, but she's vegan. And every year she goes home at the holidays and has a milkshake from like this favorite diner that she used to go to, like a real milkshake with like real milk. And she posted about it saying like, oh, I went to like my favorite childhood spot and had like my one annual like dairy based item and got like she got absolutely, as you can imagine, reamed out. Every person being like, this isn't vegan. I can't believe you would do this. Like you are betraying vegans. Like this is a bad look. Like basically every negative comment that you could think of, she got. And so like that's kind of always in the back of my head. But at the same time, she posted a follow up to it. And she was like, a thousand vegans trying like 95% of the time and having like a few non-vegan meals is way, way better than the one person who manages to be perfect or even the hundred people who manage to be completely perfect all of the time. And it really made me think because like you said, it's like, there's always something. It's gonna be the tires on your car. It's gonna be that handbag gut from your aunt for Christmas when you were 15 that you haven't thrown away yet. That's actually a real example from my own life. <laughs> and like- there's always something in your life that's not, quote, vegan or not, quote, perfect. To your point about cookbooks, I'm realizing like I don't actually specifically seek out vegan cookbooks most of the time. Or like I always look for flavor profiles of, that really intrigue me because I already know like with my food intolerances slash allergies, I'm going to need to modify it. So I always look for like, oh, what's a really cool cookbook? Like I just got this one called Orchids and Sweet Tea. It's this woman, Shanika Graham White, Orchids and Sweet Tea is also her Instagram handle. Her recipes, they're like mostly plant-based, but they do have meat in some of them. Um, so she's not vegan or anything. She just like likes plants. And her recipes have like Southern and Jamaican flavors. And so I saw like some of her, them on Instagram. I think that's how I found her. I am obsessed with that now. And I've just been like modifying all these recipes in her cookbook. And I kind of always forget that's like the vegan experience. It's like buying a cookbook that you know you can't eat most of it and then saying, what substitutions can I make? And I don't know why I'm talking about this. I don't know how I got here, but... I love that though. And that example too about keeping something non-vegan, like I've also met a ton of vegans who wear non-vegan clothing, either because they're just not at that stage yet or it's not important to them because the diet is their focus or they've bought it secondhand. That's a number of things. Like vegans that are very prominent, I've seen them wearing, they actually have a flashback to this one very prominent person in the vegan world that I won't name, but this person was wearing what I knew to be non-vegan shoes because I knew the brand and I knew that specific shoe was not vegan because I had always wanted to buy it, but hadn't because it wasn't vegan. And I think they just bought it brand new and they were like, just like, yeah, these are my shoes. Like I'm not gonna make a big deal out of it. But I've also met a number of vegans that will wear silk or leather or whatever because they got it secondhand. Someone gave it to them. And the point is, is that, as you said, I think towards the beginning, there's a whole spectrum to all of this, whether you're keto or vegan or something completely different. And just realizing that very few people are, if any, <laughs> are 100% doing anything like this perfection myth that we have and this purest desire I've also found that the times where I felt like I was doing things 100% were so stressful and they did not give me the feeling I was after, which was like, oh, I finally made it and I'm doing everything right. Like I've never felt that no matter how hard I've tried or how, how close I've gotten to something. It really doesn't shift me in the way that I'm yearning for because of all these cultural myths that we have. 
I feel like that intuitive flow and being gentle with myself, not judgmental of myself, and ultimately working on deflecting or just like letting anybody else's judgments of me pass through. That has been some of my greatest work recently. And I think this would be a great note to end on to circle back with you, Liz, is you talked about this ingredient shame before, and I know that some of it's come from social media. Like, how have you been processing that that recently? And how are you also like gearing up for what you fear might be some backlash with this new book? Like, have you learned some new practices to handle judgments and criticisms? Are they still hard for you? Like, where are you on that path? So this is such a great topic. I would love to be like, oh, I just like let go of everything because my seven hours of daily meditation has made that possible. But like, (laughs) it absolutely is not like that. I actually have tried to get into like meditating to see if that would like help me take things less personally. And actually, it kind of did a little bit. I like want to mock myself for it. But like being just mindful and like focusing on meditation and realizing like how small I am compared to like the whole world. I just think like, oh, this one comment means nothing in the grand scheme of things or even a 100 comments or a 1000 comments or a negative review or just like someone being needlessly rude on social media, like that isn't a real thing. Like that's just someone having a bad day. And then the other way I process it comes from working retail for so long. And specifically, this is from when I was a barista. People are real mean when they haven't had their coffee. But like, I just realized that Whenever someone is mean to you on the internet, it's a reflection on them. It's not a reflection on you or in real life too, like in line at seven in the morning. And so it helps me to take a step back. I still feel that initial reaction where you kind of feel like you've been gut punched where you're like, why would someone say something so mean to a person that they've never met that's had so little bearing on their life? But then you think like, I mean, there are valid criticisms out there. I'm not talking about like valid criticism. I'm just talking about like the random hate on the internet. I like to think like, wow, this person is probably not in the best state right now. Like something is wrong with them or something just isn't right with them really. And so I try to extend like kindness to that person. So I don't know, like I try to respond even not to blatant trolls, but even sometimes to like, you're not sure whether this is a troll comment or like a person just being a dick (laughs) and phrasing things poorly. But um, I always just try to respond with kindness. And usually you actually get a good result from that. Sometimes the person's like, oh, thank you for responding. I realized I sounded rude there. Or their response is nice. And you're like, oh, maybe I misread their tone in the comment. Now I'm a big one too, is I think we're all so ready to be attacked. But I don't know. I don't think there's really like a secret to it. I still take like negative comments really personally sometimes. Just the ones where someone's like, ew, keto is disgusting or vegan food is disgusting. I would never do that. Or (laughs) just like general, like broad sweeping negativity always bums me out. But I don't know. You just you deal with it, I guess. I guess I don't know is my answer. My long winded response equals I don't know. Well, it also sounds like it's on a spectrum for you, which again is the other overarching theme of this episode, which is that, you know, we're in flow. And it's not about like getting to this place where suddenly comments don't matter to you anymore, because I think it's it can be very triggering. And it's a great opportunity for us to step back and say like, okay, what is this bringing up for me? And is it true? That's one of my favorite questions. It it comes back to the work of Byron Katie, who has that amazing question when you get triggered by something is asking yourself, is it true? 
And there's a whole set of questions you can do. I know that this has come up on other episodes, but it's if you look up Byron Katie, the work, you can follow this questioning practice and realize that whenever somebody says something to you that's hurtful, generally, it's like bringing up a belief within yourself. And if you go through the questioning, you can really uncover and realize that your feelings are all to do with yourself and not to do with that other person. And that's much easier said than done. I get triggered by comments and fearful of things. And I let people's judgments hold me back from expressing my full self. And I'm working on it. And hopefully one day I'll feel freer. But I don't know if I'll ever feel fully free of the pain of criticism because I think that's part of the human experience. So I used to strive for that. It was like, if only I could get to this place where that didn't matter to me. If only I could develop that thick skin. But the trade-off with developing thick skin is that you lose a lot of your like sweetness and vulnerability and putting up too much armor. In essence, you kind of lose yourself because you've created so many layers. You're not no longer your like true self. You're a different version of yourself that's wearing some sort of a mask to protect it. And I guess that just means that I would have to ride the wave of negativity. And I've also found that no matter how perfect I try to be on social media or in videos or on the podcast, there's always going to be someone who interprets it differently than I meant it. And there's just truly no way of pleasing everyone. So we have to just keep practicing showing up regardless. And I'm really glad that You've been doing that and sharing so vulnerably here today, Liz, and coming out with this book that I think is actually going to make a huge difference. It might even be a much bigger success than your first book for that reason, because it reaches an even bigger audience. So I can't wait to see the results. It's now available to either pre-order, depending on when you listen to this, or purchase. But either way, there'll be a link to it. Can you share the name one more time verbally in, in case someone wants to go right now and buy it while they're listening? Or otherwise, they can go click the link in our show notes. But hold it up one more time. Let's see the beautiful cover. And the name is... Totally. It's called Plant Forward Keto. My name is Liz McDowell. I love your name. Your name just has... We were talking about heritage before we started recording today. And it, where is McDowell Irish? So it's Scottish. It's McDowell. Got it. Okay. But you also are part Polish. Yeah. So McDowell is actually my married name. So I am no part Scottish. And yeah, so my dad's family is Polish. My mom's family is of Irish descent. But I married into a family who actually also doesn't have Scottish descent. This is the name of like an adopted dad. So many years ago, their like ancestor was adopted by his stepdad and took the name McDowell. And so this is not, no, nobody has any like genetic connection to Scotland. But I think it's funny because a lot of people will always be like, oh, I'm Scottish too. And I'm like, well, it's my married name, but also none of us are Scottish, like no Scottish descent, like no connection. We don't wear like kilts to things. I just... I don't know why. I just find that so entertaining because people do make like so many assumptions based on your last name. Like, understandably, that's like part of what a last name is about. It tells where you're from or like who your people are. But um, I grew up with a very Polish name. It's Witkowski. And so it's just so weird to me having like a name that doesn't like intimidate people to try to spell. Although Witkowski is not hard to spell. People just don't like Slavic names. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That I mean, that's so fascinating. 
First of all, I didn't know all these fun facts about you. So thank you for sharing them. So unnecessary. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I actually think this might be the best part of the episode. I'm just kidding. No, it's great for people who stick around because if they're hearing this, they're invested enough that this is like a really fun fact for them. It's like a deep cut. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, I actually do not think about someone's last name that much. Like just like you described, like maybe if I ask a question, but I don't ever think about the cultural, you know, the historic reasons behind somebody's last name. Some people do, I suppose. But my last name is Danish, but like I don't, it's like the Danish culture is not really like talked about that much in my family's. Like it's just part of the journey that it took for my family to have me over time. And anyways, it's always just kind of interesting to like reflect on how even that can lead to a judgment about who somebody is and what they're like. And I think the overarching message is we encourage people not to be judgmental and open-minded. And we also encourage you to recognize that you will receive judgments no matter what you do, because everybody's a little bit different and doing things for their own reasons. And I'm just grateful to know you, Liz, and have someone that I, I can always turn to, to talk about vegan keto, to trust for great recipes, to be on this journey of veganism in general. And I'm just so grateful that you came on and I can't wait to celebrate your book launch with this and your cat too. So we also offline, we talked about how I'm hoping that Liz starts putting her cat in her TikTok videos because most people love cats. I was going to say who doesn't love cats, but I'm sure there's some people that really don't like them. There's always someone who doesn't (laughs) like something. (laughs) Which is the perfect example, right? So You know, as much as I love cats, there's someone out there that's like, I'm not watching a cat video. This is boring, but I will watch every second of your cat videos, Liz. And I hope that you put them up on your TikTok account, which I will also link to in our show notes. Your TikTok account is under your name though, right? It is under Meat Free Keto, but like it pops up as like Liz McDowell at Meat Free Keto on my username. That was something else we had talked about was how the transitions and different usernames, because you have two usernames, right? I do. Well, on Instagram, I'm like under Liz.McDowell, but that's just like me and I never post and don't follow me there. Okay. (laughs) I won't link to that. Okay. (laughs) But then, yeah, like you're saying, like, do you want to associate yourself with this brand, this identity, or do you want to try to like be yourself? But then, I don't know, it's a whole, maybe that's a a conversation for another day. We can talk about branding. I need to record my podcast and then get you on that podcast. Are your episodes still up to listen to? Like, is it they it's are. still there? Okay. Where do you find your podcast? Because I'm going to go link to it now. iTunes and Stitcher. I think it's it's just the Vegan Keto Podcast. What? See, I knew you had this, but I don't think I've ever listened. And Oh, that's... I like haven't recorded a new episode in well over a year. Speaking of usernames, it's under your... My your old username. Gamer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa. This mm-hmm. is so from fun. like a million years ago and you can't change it without like screwing up the RSS feed and like screwing up the back catalog. So I was just like, well, this is a decision I live with. So, Well, but I bet you I, I might be able to figure out a way around this. For people that don't know this about me, work with a podcast company. So we might be able to do something about this. Whitney is like the most knowledgeable person about social media and blogging and like every platform and every possible way of online communicating that I've ever met. She is an encyclopedia. You'll just be having a casual conversation and she's like, oh, casually, I'm an expert in this topic, but she won't say it like that. She'll just say everything you've ever wanted to know. And some stuff you didn't know 
you wanted to know about that topic and then be like, oh, did you not know I knew that? And you're like, I didn't know anyone knew that. Like, she's amazing. <laughs> it's so funny you say this because I'm going to be on a podcast next week and they asked me some like pre-questions to prepare for the episode. And one of them was like, tell us three fun facts about you. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Like, so maybe I'll include that one. <laughs> you should. I'm a human Seriously. encyclopedia. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> such a nerd. But no, I love it. <laughs> it's so amazing. I love it so much. And I appreciate it so much because every time I talk to you, I feel like I should be paying you for like consulting time because you'll just be like, oh, yeah, like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no one has told me that before. Like, how has no one told me that before? <laughs> it's just you're amazing. It's just the way my brain works and I, I'm very flattered. So thank you. But for now, we will link to thehealthygamergirl.podbean or you can just search for the Vegan Keto Podcast because it came right up when I searched for it. It's on iTunes. It's anywhere that you probably are listening to this podcast. And I'm super excited about the possibility of you recording more episodes and lots to be explored there. So thanks again for being on this show, Liz. I really appreciate it. And for the listener... We will link to your brand new book, Plant Forward Keto. Just like your first book is called Vegan Keto, not The Vegan Keto. I'm going to link to both books in the show notes at wellevator.com along with your TikTok and your Instagram, all these places where people can geek out over your amazing work and your wonderful, positive personality, Liz, which I've always felt from your online presence and very grateful for. That'll be all in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Go to the podcast section. You can search for this episode if it's not top of the list or in the recent episodes, depending on when you're listening. And the full transcript, YouTube video, all the links, everything there in one place for you. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode very soon. And Liz, I hope to see you very soon too. Thank you so, so much just for everything. Just a million thank yous. This was so much fun and I cannot wait to do it again. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.